The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 8th, the What's Up With All Those Nannies edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and host of the podcast Crime Writers On. I live in New Hampshire and my kids are Henry, who just turned 18, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who's 19. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I am a writer and cultural critic. I live in Brooklyn uh, for the next few weeks before finally relocating to Los Angeles, where I will reunite with my daughter, Naima, who is six, going on 65. I'm Tom Skoka. I'm the politics editor of Slate. Uh, My kids are Mac, age 12, and Dominic, age 7, and uh, we live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Today on the show, we've got a question from a parent looking to overcome a language barrier and a question from a mom who's wondering why all the moms she knows have nannies, plus triumphs, fails, and recommendations. And on Slate Plus, we'll talk about making kids better news consumers. Jamila, what have you got this week, a triumph or a fail? Uh, I think I have a triumph. Um, as I've discussed over the uh, the course of the summer since I've been hosting the podcast, my little one and her dad's household relocated to L.A. I'm going out there soon to join them. Um, and so we've been communicating primarily through FaceTime and phone conversations. And yesterday, my co-parent, um, her father and I, had a, I think we did a really good job giving our six-year-old a lecture from two sides of the country at one time. <laughs> we joined forces. We broke her down. She was high, you know, she was but, but, but. And by the end, she was quiet. She was contrite. And when I spoke to her uh, later in the day, I said, how do you feel? You know, she she called me and she was just smiling and she'd lost a tooth and she wanted me to see it. And she, um, you know, I said, well, how are you feeling today? And, and actually, what do you think? How did you feel about this morning? And she said, a little bit disappointed in my behavior, mm. but otherwise good. It was great. That's great. So I'm happy that we were able to get her to a point without looking at each other because we weren't on FaceTime. We were on the phone. So it was very hard. Mm. And and her younger brother was in the car. So there's two kids, two adults, two cities, traffic, all this. And yet we managed to effectively um, chastise her about calling us stupid or, you know, some six-year-old thing that she did in frustration because she didn't feel heard. And um, she expressed regret. She felt disappointed mm. in herself. That was, <laughs> I feel so. So my triumph is making my child feel disappointed in herself is what I'm saying Ooh. as the parenting columnist and podcast. That's good. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank huge you. accomplishment. <laughs> Tom, what about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail? I I asked them if that if I'd had any fails uh, and they, they <laughs> claimed that I hadn't. So I'm just going to going to embrace that. I don't know. I was a, it was sort of a small triumph, but um, there's like a whole set of things you get good at when your kids are really small and then they wear off, right? Or do they just become irrelevant, you know? Like you mm. discover these superpowers when you're a parent, right? Like like I was I was really always able to get them to like not step in dog poop just by like you're walking down the street with them. You just kind of – it's just, you just sort of like give them a little touch. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just like redirect them ever so slightly and then their feet won't step in it. You know, just like – you know, and then now they're like old enough not to, you're not holding their hand all the time when you walk and you don't really like, they can handle that stuff. You know, and there's this like, you get like the super hearing, you know, you like mm-hmm. hear something crash and you like, no, that's a knee hitting the wall versus that's a head hitting the floor. And, right. right. But like the other sort of superpower that I, that I had developed was like, as like the human tranquilizer, like the kid, you know, when the kids are little, like we didn't, we weren't like co-sleepers or anything like that. But then sometimes when the kids are like little and they're agitated and they can't sleep, you just sort of like get them and you like glom an arm onto them and you lay down with them and you be, you emit boringness. You're just like right. a big, <laughs> like you're a human energy drain. Yes, and you like absorb, you know, and so you know the. And I've always been, like, a very effective sleeper. Like, when I was a toddler, I, you know, family lore is that I would disappear and people would freak out and they would have just gone upstairs and gotten a pillow and, like, sacked out on the floor because when it's time to sleep, it's time to sleep. And, you know, um, so the younger one, the seven-year-old, um, every now and then he has trouble going to sleep. Um, we live in a small apartment and, like, the living room door opens into their bedroom and they want that door open mm-hmm. when they're going to sleep. And so... What happens sometimes is he works himself into a little bit of a frenzy because, 
you know, at some point we're going to turn off the living room light and go to bed ourselves. Right. And he does not want to be awake when that happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But so if he's stayed up a little bit later than he should and then he's lying in bed and he's not asleep and the, the clock's ticking, then he starts to think like, uh-oh, if I don't get to sleep, then I'll be awake when the light goes out and then mm-hmm. that'll be a mess. So now I can't get to sleep. So now I'm freaking out about not getting to sleep. So, And it goes into the cycle. And so, you know. So over the weekend, he was, like, doing one of these, and I was just like, look, buddy, all right, let me let me help you here. And so since I started – I just started working at Slate, so, like, I've been coming into the office again, and I've been, you know, learning the habits of, of – and the routine of being on that kind of schedule instead yeah. of the work-from-home schedule. And so one thing that's happened because of the train ride uh, into work is, like, I don't load up on as much coffee and tea – before mm-hmm. leaving the house, and I've sort of been like running a caffeine deficit mm-hmm. all along, and I've been very sleepy. And so by like Saturday, I was just like falling asleep all the time, all day long. So I figured I might as well put this to advantage. And so mm-hmm. I just like you know went in there and like flopped an arm over the little guy and like told him to relax his mind and think about maybe you're off in a boat on the ocean somewhere, relaxed, think about the easy good time you're having, you know. And then I just like sort of shared my sleepiness and boom you know it was like it was like back to back to toddler days he just just relaxed and settled down and fell asleep as did i um so that was you know a small success but like it sort of felt good to be able to do that again you're like a human white noise machine yeah Oh, I just want to like right roll now. back. After that was okay last night. You didn't. You're not boring me. The story is great. I didn't mean to imply that. No, I. I just think I don't have my kids. So I've been staying up too late. I'm like, tell I me about parenting. To, What's that like? You said uh, that you're that you're tired because you're running on a caffeine deficit. Have you, have you considered that perhaps you're tired because maybe you also need to be getting a little bit more sleep? The caffeine deficit to me seems. It's like saying, um, you know, th- think about the equivalent other substance. Like I'm, you know, I'm running on an alcohol deficit, so I'm not as I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not as, as social as, as I, I usually. Am. I'm usually pretty <laughs> chipper and friendly. But yeah, no, sober. that's a that's a so, that's a fair reading. Um, <laughs> but nobody wants to admit that they need more sleep. Like that, like it, it, there's something particularly crushing about that. I don't know. It's just one, trying to lay claim to the time of day that belongs to you, you know, whether it's you and Mm. your partner or you and your kids, but it's not for work, you know? So it's like, I don't want to go home and go straight to bed just because I'm tired and I need to go to bed. This is my time, you know? And then the idea of like, oh, I just need to like go to bed early and then I have to wake up early because the kid has to be somewhere. And then next thing I know, I'm my mom. So Mm -hmm. I just have to stay up until two in the morning. Like, just got to do it. (laughs) Just got to push through. My whole angst right now is that, like, I, I, I like to stay up late. I, I usually get up early. I don't get enough sleep. But, like, once I'm asleep, I really desperately want to stay asleep. Like, mm-hmm. that's my, <laughs> that's my like, big battle in life. And, you know, our neighboring state has, uh, you know, made um, marijuana products legal. And it's been decriminalized in my state. So I have a source who, like, has oh. been getting these, like, pot gummies for me, which is the only thing that works to help me stay asleep. And, um, you know, maybe someday they'll make the equivalent for little kids. I'm not I'm not suggesting they should, but maybe they will I have been very curious about that myself. Um, <laughs> cannabis was decriminalized in my household um, a long mm. time ago. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I have a medical card, so I, I do um, consume, and it has been very helpful in terms of uh, going to sleep at night. But the problem is sometimes I'm sleeping too well. So like you said, it's yeah. like it gets me down. But when I wake yes. up the next morning, do I wake up the next morning? And Listen, is it after we all the just time? need a little uh, Tom Skoka in our life to lie down next That's to right. us and bore us to death. That's what we <laughs> need. <laughs> all right, uh, I have a sort of unfolding. It's it's a triumph, but it feels like a fail. And I was I was telling Tom Jamila before you came in the studio. I am getting ready to move my kid to college in uh, two weeks from today. He's gonna be moving in, and I've been like buying all the stuff and mm. organizing it and like figuring it all out. And then, um, of course, this weekend there were two horrible mass shootings that took place within 24 hours of each other, which really threw a wrench in my general feelings of like euphoria about us having gotten here and me like sending him off to this like super exciting program. And of course, it's just kind of sucked this week. I just feel like so down on like 
being a mom in this moment. I'm so happy for him. He's so excited. I am theoretically thrilled. (laughs) I've gone Mm -hmm. from being actually thrilled to theoretically thrilled. And the feeling just sucks. It sucks so bad. And I'm, I'm trying to not, you know, the sort of like borderline fail thing is I'm really trying to not uh, transmit that to my kid. He's going away for a week uh, tomorrow. He, he and his uh, wonderful girlfriend along a few months ago planned this trip. They're going up to Maine and they're going to be like camping and stuff. And so he's going to be gone and... I feel like this is my opportunity to sort of wallow in my yeah. depression, try to get my act together for when he gets back so I can like put my happy face back on and just be excited again because it is like one of the more exciting things that's ever happened mm-hmm. uh, in, to him. So, yeah, it just sucks. It just sucks. So if anybody, uh, if either one of you have any solutions for me, let me know <laughs> things I can do to buck the heck up during this time it's it's really weird it's just super weird well according to my mother who struggled with this I'm, I'm her only child and she struggled with this issue from when I went off to school um in 2002 until somewhat recently I'm 35 um marijuana <laughs> which I begged her to you when I was in college because my mother's super high anxiety you know, a little bit of a helicopter parent to some extent and, and had a lot of fear about me being, you know, I, I'm from Chicago and I went to school in Washington, D.C. And so me being that far away from home was scary uh, for her, um, you know, in ways that it wasn't for my father. Everybody was happy for me, but she was very anxious. And the idea of me being, mm. you know, that far away, you know, was really rough. And, and you know, if I'd call her and say it's five, say it's six o'clock, seven o'clock at night, you know, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm walking to the grocery store. Now, why are you always out so late? Mm. <laughs> I'm like, it's seven <laughs> o'clock. It's still light outside. <laughs> um, but, and, you know, and so I said, mommy, you know, maybe this would help you calm those nerves a little bit. You'd be a little bit less anxious. So she didn't listen um, for the majority uh, of that many years since I went off to college. But in, in recent years, she has found peace. And I hope <laughs> that you... We'll also find peace <laughs> as you see fit, and we can download more about that offline. I'm just sad, you know? It's just sad. It's like less anxiety and more just like, I don't know. So there's something for that, too. Yeah, I was going to say, Download offline. There's all types of, there, there's a happy strain. If you want to be sad, you could probably be sad if you want to. They can do everything with the weed now. There's also just stores. like a cold-blooded reversal on the question of like how you're feeling about all this is like... Um, how how did you feel when you went off to college? I was fucking thrilled. <laughs> right? Were you worrying about? I never went back. Were you, were you like really focused on on like how the on the the stress that you were applying to your to your parents? Were no. You, no. Were you were you really were those antennae about like how your parents were 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 coping with your uh, uh with your entering this new phase of life like even out? Were you like nope. trying to think about that? Uh, only in, in so far as that my mother made it impossible to not know it. It was the ele- it wasn't the elephant in the room. It right. was the room, you right. know. But but I, I can't say it made me as sensitive to it as perhaps I could have maybe have been at seventeen or eighteen. Right. My parents a month after I left uh, turned my bedroom into an office. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the sort of benign neglect generation. I think I'm like one of the prime examples of that. Mm. I know ne- I never went home. I became like an orientation leader and worked in the summers at my college. I, did that too. I, li- I literally never went home after I did I one summer down. at home. And then I was like, oh no. So I think that I think that when you're when you're worrying about whether you're gonna be like doing emotional contagion and spreading bad feelings to mm. to him, like I don't think he's gonna notice. Yeah, like, he's, he's got other stuff on, on his mind. <laughs> Such as I mean, how happy he is to leave you. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 gonna miss you, sure. It's just that leaving yeah. you is never nothing has ever made him as happy as leaving you. <laughs> but aside from that, he's he loves you. And, yeah, he loves yeah. he's he's gonna miss his car and his drum set. <laughs> I think are the two things he's gonna miss. Maybe the dogs and then maybe me after that. <laughs> Okay, let's do some business. You know, every time I hear one of the hosts of the show say that, I just think about my dog doing their business. That's not what I mean. I mean some Slate business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, ask a teacher, do it up. 
my parents' work-life balance, and much more. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. And as always, if you have a question you want us to answer on the show, leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email at slate.com. And check out our Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community, and we moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. And if you say stuff about me, I will probably respond to you there. <laughs> Just be warned in advance. You will have to interact with me, which some people like uh, in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. In Slate Plus today, we're talking about helping kids develop good news consumption habits. Our guest host, Tom Skoka, wrote a great piece this week looking critically at the media and their role in helping normalize white supremacy. I want to get his take on how parents should get their kids to choose wisely when it comes to journalism. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are as a politics editor as somebody who looks at media and thinks about media, and as a parent, how are you going to help your kids develop good news consumption habits? To hear segments like this and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for our membership program, Slate Plus. It's a great way to support this show. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate podcasts. And in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other benefits. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, it's time for our first listener question. This question was sent by email to momanddad at slate.com and is being read for us by Slate's Shasha Leonar. Dear Mom and Dad are Fighting, we are very lucky to have our daughters in a Spanish immersion daycare that we all absolutely love. My oldest daughter is about to turn five, and we are having a birthday party with friends at the local park. In my daughter's class, there are several kids whose parents mostly speak Spanish, and I have noticed these kids have not attended any of the birthday parties of other kids in the class, including my daughter's best friend. I have spoken to her friend's parents before. I'm wondering if you have any advice for outreach to parents that speak a different language. I wrote the invitation in Spanish and English, and I have spoken to one of the moms I'm friendly with about coming. I am trying to talk to others, but my pickup time varies, and I keep missing the other parents. I'm wondering what else I can do. I'm worried the parents don't come to these birthday parties because they are uncomfortable. The local school the kids are going to is a dual-language Spanish-English school, so I feel like this will come up more in the future as well. Thanks for any advice you can give. Jamila, you want to take this one first? Sure. Um, you know, it, it's, I'll say after going from three years at a uh, private daycare center where the families were, you know, many of them were friends and, and, you know, most of us lived in the same neighborhood or not too far from the school and, and you know, saw each other at the grocery store and, and had forged a relationship, um, you know, that may have been beyond uh you know, the fact that our children were friends. Um, it was a community school in so many ways to having just completed um, my daughter's first and only year uh, at a local public school in Brooklyn where we knew families that came from our daycare center. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're just kind of thrown into the space with with new folks. And, and there's class warfare taking place. There's gentrification. There There's just a lot happening. Um, and a lot of very different families who might not have otherwise chosen each other, um, you know, as, as friends in the way that many of the families at our daycare center would have naturally known each other. Um, yeah, I... When we did the birth, our our daughter's sixth birthday party, you know, all the old buddies came from the daycare center and, and, you know, many of the ones she hadn't seen since they'd graduated and, you know, certainly the ones that are still in school with her. And I was a little disappointed in the showing from classmates, uh, you know, but I realized that I personally, you know, and, and the same pretty much goes for her, da her dad and stepmom. I run in the school and I run out. You know, I, I don't get a lot of time to talk to parents. I'm oftentimes like moving in and out of an Uber, you know, um, or one of the last parents doing pickup because I needed to work until the last possible minute. And if 
parents haven't bonded, you know, with some for some parents, you know, I personally felt a sense of obligation. If we got invited to a birthday party, one of us had to try to get her there, you know, because I I think of, of the kids I've seen on the Internet. And I know some of those stories have been hoaxes, but I think of the kids sitting alone at the birthday party every time, you know, I, we get a birthday party invite. And, I, you know, regardless if she's really into the kid or not, I'm like, we're going to at least try to get you there. Um, which kind of sucks because her dad usually ends up having to be the one to do it. But I'm like, but it's so important that she is there. I, unfortunately, cannot attend. But she must be there. <laughs> That's right. Um, but uh, but I, I realize that a lot of other parents, either A, they're, they may be working on weekends and the child is in the care of somebody who wouldn't be equipped uh, to take them out and about. It could be that they keep a work schedule during the week where uh, the weekend time is sacred. You know, and they may be doing a church activity. You know, some people do that stuff on Saturdays, too. Um, you know, or just something with family that prevents them from uh, feeling up to, you know, uh, accommodating the birthday party. Um they may actually not live in the neighborhood. You know, a lot of people are misrepresenting their addresses to get their kids in good schools. I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. I am a person who, you know, has not done that, but certainly would. Um, so there are a lot of reasons that are not necessarily, uh, you know, some sort of referendum on your family or your child uh, that would prevent kids from coming to their birthday party. And um, since it sounds that, you know, these are families that may not be English speakers, that, that may only communicate or primarily communicate in Spanish if they don't feel comfortable, um, you know, or, or familiar with the parents that are hosting the party. I, I can't say it's terribly surprising that they wouldn't you know, necessarily want to come out. So what I would maybe suggest, and I don't know how far it'll take you, you know, in terms of this upcoming event, but maybe communicating with your child's teacher and principal um, about, what sort of activities could be taking place in the school, you know, that aren't already that are giving families an opportunity to build community, um, particularly mm. in the dual language program or this is a Spanish immersion school. So this is the whole school. Right. So that they can um, get to know each other and find ways to communicate, you know, despite the language barrier. And, and you know, just know that these adults are also present to some extent in the life of my child and, and you know, are interested and concerned about their safety and their well-being and hopefully you know maybe when the next set of birthdays come around people will feel a little bit more welcome um you know and comfortable stepping outside of their uh usual weekend routines and spending some time with you what do you think tom yeah i mean that makes sense there are these there, there are like two different levels of issue here right the one is that the, the letter writer is obviously like concerned about you know the sort of full social integration of the school community and, you know, making sure that people, you know, that, that they're not part of some process where people just sort of sort themselves apart into monolingual communities right. while sending their children to a bilingual school. And, you know, in that respect, it seems like a good thing to to be attuned to and to be trying to take steps to work through. But on the other hand, we're talking about with a fifth, sixth birthday party. Like, yeah. like you don't want to be sweating your fellow parents about whether they're going to take their kid to the yeah. birthday party. Like, I mean, you know, as you said, it's just like there's all these people have a lot of stuff on the weekends. Yeah. And they may not be showing up at birthday parties because they got stuff to do. And that's fine. And, you know, I mean, how, it's also that age where the, I don't know how big the class size is, but they're, you know, you haven't like sort of broken out into a circle of friends, you know, and and, and as you say, you want to make sure that, you're, that everybody is getting you know, nobody's being like socially neglected, but then you enter in this cycle where you got like, you know, if there's 25 kids in the class, then like every other weekend, somebody's having a birthday yep. party, right? So mm -hmm. like, uh, and everybody, you know, if you get into the situation where everybody feels like they have to recirculate to everybody else's birthday party, and it's, you know, it's, it, it turns into a lot. And so I think that it's important to keep some perspective on, on what you're asking people to do outside of outside of school and like how hard you want to push them. Yeah, I agree. I think the birthday party invite, it's a, more, it's a higher stakes interaction than just being proactive about saying hi to people when you do see them in like regular situations mm -hmm. and kind of getting to know people in the regular daily transactional part of life uh, and not putting so much uh, so many stakes into this particular event. I mean, the other thing that I would think about, too, um, is that you may just want to consider kind of where you and these other parents are coming from when you are sending your kids to this school. So it's your choice 
you know, you're a parent who's not a native Spanish speaker. You want to send your kid to have this multicultural experience at this uh, bilingual school, and you've chosen to do that, and you're coming from at it from a place of like an intentional choice for these you know set of reasons uh, that you've laid out. And some of these families may be sending their kid to the bilingual school for a different set of reasons. They may be sending right. them because they don't speak English and they want to have an opportunity for their kid to be able to interact with the school community and for them to be able to interact with the school community so they so they have a sort of a better understanding of what's going on and they can track their kid's education and they have teachers that they can communicate with. And for them, it's less of a choice coming from a place of, I have this whole menu of options mm-hmm. and more of a, this is the only fit that will work for us um, mm-hmm. because there's a language barrier. So I would think about that when you are trying to build bridges around things like birthday parties, because, you know, you, it seems the writer inner uh, have like really great intentions. You are you're definitely like providing your kids intentionally with a diverse experience. You really want to be intentional about uh, having your kids have a diverse group of friends. That's all really, really good. But you also need to be thoughtful about the families that you're trying to involve in your family's life and that maybe they're coming from a slightly different place than you are, whether it's logistical or a language barrier or, you know, anything else. Um, I mean, you're also making the assumption in your email that the parents don't want to come to your party because they feel uncomfortable. That's also an assumption that you are, you know, have have the position that you feel like you can make. That may not be it at all. You know, they might be parents. Uh, I was really surprised once when Teddy was, uh, I don't know, about the same age as, as these kids. And I talked to a parent who I had seen in a million school events about coming to our house for a party and a sleepover. And she was like, oh, we don't do that. We don't do parties. We don't do sleepovers. And I was just like, oh, and like it never occurred to me that there would be family that's like not into sending their kids to parties and sleepovers. But, you know, it had nothing to do with them feeling left out or not feeling connected to the community because our kids saw each other all the time and hung out all the time. But that family just doesn't do parties and sleepovers. That's just who they are and they're not into it. And that's also fine. So that could also be what's going on. So I'd say like broaden your perspective a little bit about where some of these families might be coming from lower the stakes and as lovely as I think it is and I think you should continue to do things like write your invitations in two languages I think that's really great um, don't necessarily feel like these parents are making a statement by not responding to your birthday party invitation and do more to have boring uh, interactions in transactional spaces I think that will kind of go a long way kind of going forward Well, we got another question this week that all of us were pretty enthusiastic about answering, and I'm looking forward to hearing what my co-hosts have to say. Uh, This one was also sent by email to momanddad at slate.com and is being read by Shasha Leonar. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. I live in a wealthy American city with my 16-month-old son and husband. Almost everyone I know and nearly everyone on Facebook mommy groups either has a full-time nanny or puts their kids in daycare starting at three months old. One of my friends, who doesn't have a job, has a nanny, 40-plus hours a week, and also gets babysitters on the weekends. I've been at home all day, every day with my son since he was born. We never had anyone care for him besides my mom. I often wonder about all these parents who are outsourcing care for their babies and small children. And I'm not talking about people who need to because of work. That, I understand. I'm talking about women who don't work, and who have kids, and who don't want to raise them. Sometimes I'm jealous of my friends who are able to just leave their kids behind with the sitter and go shopping or do whatever they did before they had kids. But then I think that there's nothing I would want to do that is more important than helping to build a solid, secure psychological foundation for my child by being with him and responding to his needs. Am I taking this all too seriously? I don't mean to shame anyone. It just doesn't feel right. And the fact that most nannies are women of color also feels wrong and reinforces a power dynamic that I'm assuming most liberal, wealthy women wouldn't publicly support. In short, do you think it's wrong to pay someone else to put in the long, tedious hours of parenting a small child? And do you think it's actually bad for kids and society? Thank you. Um, who would like to take this first? Uh, the, the general gist here is, is it wrong to dot, 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 and is it bad for dot, 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 with regard to child care and nannies? Tom, do you want to take a first swing at this one? I mean, uh, to, to sort of cut right to the bottom of it, I don't think her friends are the people she's mad at. 
<laughs> I think she might be a little bit mad at herself. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like um, whatever um, model she's proposing of uh, building uh, psychologically healthy children is not served by um, this approach to uh, to managing your time and your life and your children's time. There's also a weird little. Um, if she's unpacking privilege, there was a weird little ghetto giveaway to uh, to say that that she's got her mom helping out because mm-hmm. that's awful nice. That nice. so so it's you're not really against having someone else raise your children. You're just against paying someone to do it. It seems mm-hmm. um, so. Yeah, that th- that's my that's my sort of first burst of thoughts. But I know that a lot of there, uh, you know, you've got some clearly some thoughts coming. <laughs> <laughs> I um actually Rebecca, do you want to go first? I, I think I may have a slightly different take on it. Um mm. but but, uh, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Uh I think that this question is toxic on like five different levels. Um there is a problem uh with the way that moms in particular uh look at talk about judge uh, make value judgments around other women and the choices they make, uh, not just with regard to parenting, but just with their lives. I mean, I think that like mothers tend to do it to mm-hmm. each other more than any other group of people. And maybe that's just my perspective because I've spent a couple years now hosting a parenting podcast mm-hmm. and I have read and processed a bunch of questions that are in some form or another, aren't I so much better than all the other mothers I know because of these reasons? And That's the name of my book. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, this is one of those questions. So if you, let writer inner, think it's a bad idea to, as you put it, outsource the parenting of your kids to other people, then don't do it for yourself. Make that a value that lives within your family and within your life. It is none of your business uh, what other people's values are around how they spend their time, how they divide up their resources so that they can pursue the things that bring them joy or so that they can, uh, you know, continue to live the way they were living before they have kids or so that they can, you know, perhaps do a bunch of other things that you were not seeing them do. Because remember, a lot of your data here is coming from what you observe on Facebook, which I don't think anybody would say is an accurate portrayal of anybody's life. If my Facebook were an accurate portrayal of mine, I would be 40 pounds thinner. Let's just be real. (laughs) There's a reason why all my photos are from the chin up on my Facebook (laughs) feed. Um, So I have a lot of thoughts about this, but first and foremost, and the one I want to address first is the general toxicity of your email. What is the point of asking this question? Do you have an aspiration to make society better in some way? Are you going to become some sort of parenting coach? Are you going to do interventions with these women to tell them what they're doing is wrong? Or do you just kind of want to feel better about your choices because perhaps you have some insecurity about whether or not you're doing things the way that is, quote, right or wrong? Um Let's be real. There's very little that about what you're describing here that's on its face wrong, uh, unless you're talking about a cartoon character or some sort of like, you know, evil, uh, you know, villain in some like rom-com where there's like, you know, the neglectful parents or whatever. And and there's certainly um, just on it on their face like way worse brands of neglect than the ones that I think you think you're describing here so those are just my top of mind thoughts Jamila what are your top of mind thoughts when you read this email you know I'll say I'll say that some of what the letter writer um said could have been pulled directly from my twitter feed uh Mm. particularly when my daughter was really young you know, right. um, but it's funny, as Tom pointed out, and it had actually I had gleaned over this um, when I first read the letter, the, the bit about her mother helping out. Right. So, you know, she lives in this wealthy city. She has a 16 month old. So she, you know, the implication is that she, too, is wealthy. So she has the, you know, perhaps has the means to have a nanny if she so chose to. But she's chosen to be a stay at home mother. Um 
you know, while getting some assistance from her mother and her mother could be living there. She could just come in on date night. Who knows? But there's some level of assistance coming in from her mom. And I'd say as someone who lives in the inner city (laughs) um, with and has co-parented a child essentially since birth and went back to work after a like five or six week maternity leave and brought the kid to work with me every day for the first two months that I was back. She sat in like a little rocking chair next to my desk. Um, you know, I nursed in the office. I, I took no time off. I didn't get, you know, like I, I didn't take vacations. I brought her into professional situations, into panel discussions and, and all of this stuff with me because I couldn't miss a beat because I didn't want anyone to judge me for being a single mother. I had so much to mm. prove. In addition to needing to earn money, you know, I had something to prove. And also, you know, I had some semblance of a, I've always had a social life and I've always had help from her father. So I'm not trying to imply that I'm, you know, been doing this all alone. It's all been so bad and so sad. But all that to say that me looking at you as somebody who had the privilege to not work, you know, it is not always the easiest gaze, right? Like there are times where I'm like, damn, I've been tired for six years. Like maybe I should take a vacation this summer. Maybe I should, you know, have not, maybe I should have taken three months off. Maybe I should have had a little bit more time to adjust to motherhood before going right back into work. And so the anxiety and frustration that you feel at seeing them, like, yes, there is something toxic about the ways that that women make value judgments about other women, right? The, the people make value judgments about other people, but it can be particularly devastating for mothers because we feel so much, most of us, uh, maybe not the, the ladies you're describing, but but many of us feel so much pressure to, you know, take care of everyone in the home and to be the best mom possible and, and to never drop the ball and to never falter. But also um, few of us ever get to have the sort of support that I think that mothers deserve to have. All mothers feel this way. We all feel tired. We all feel that we need and deserve more help than we get. Um, I certainly feel a level of discomfort at the number of women of color I see caring for white children Mm -hmm. Uh, under certain circumstances. You know, there are some where it's like, hey, this is a highly skilled labor. This person's being paid well for it. She is a loved and respected part of this family. And there are others where it's like, something just isn't quite right here. You know, like you've got a mammy. You don't have a nanny. You have a mammy, you know, or, or you have somebody who is being paid under the table or, you know, how it does reinforce some dynamics in our society that are not um, fair or, or good or of our own making, but that have been around for a long time. All that to say, your, your discomfort is valid. Your angst and your exhaustion are valid. Other people's right to make choices about how they choose to or not to to parent their children are also valid. And I would just say that this was more like a a journal entry than a a call for help and assistance. (laughs) And I want you to know that you were heard and and you were heard by, you know, one mom who's like, you know, cut the crap, lady. You you know, this isn't the choice you made. And and you you have to live with that. And and maybe that's what you should be dealing with as opposed to being heavy handed and judgmental. I am saying I feel you like it's not right, but it's okay. You know, you're wrong, but you're also not wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can all roll our eyes at those perfectly, you know, taught tummy Pilates at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, injections and fillers and and worrying about everything but our kids' moms together from our place of, you know, frizzy-haired, puffy-eyed, exhausted judgment. Um, But know that I'd I'd wager that most of us are are doing the best we can for our kids. I think that that it's also possible for um, people to pursue the the opposite choices as an affectation as well, that there's... um, you know, that, that it's possible to achieve this degree of hyper parenting as a reflection of your privilege. Um, mm. You know, that if you, that this person has the wherewithal not to need mm. to, you know, not to need to go earn money, not to need to like find somebody to help. You know, I mean, she, she included, included daycare in this thing as well. And that's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, nanny's a funny word, right? People get really charged up about nanny. Mm. Nanny, cause, like, People sometimes people feel awkward saying nanny. Sometimes they say sitter instead. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you know, because nobody wants to be like 
the parents in Mary Poppins. I mean, it's a I guess it's a blessed movie. But you know, you don't you sound mm-hmm. like a toff. You sound like you're some sort of like banker who's like just looking to to hire someone to do the entire work of raising their kids. That's right. sort of, and you know, but sometimes you just you know need somebody to pick the kids up from school at three o'clock because you get off work at six, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's a lot of uh, things that people do um, to get help. And I feel like there's a position of privilege that this writer seems to be coming from where where all that is rejected, where the sort of, you know, if you're, if you're complaining about daycare, like people don't, really, people send their kids to daycare because they, you know, need to go to work. And so yeah. I feel like there's a, there's a self-indulgent preciousness uh, to doing it, to, to staking out the position this person's staking out to. All right. Well, if you would like this panel to tear apart every line of your email and <laughs> delve deep into the toxicity and psychology of the underpinnings of it, feel free to send us a note at momanddad at slate.com. We would love to uh, answer it on the show. And I look forward to seeing what everybody in our Facebook group and the Slate Parenting Facebook group has to say about our response to that email. I'm guessing it might be mixed. I'm guessing it might be spicy. We will see. Now it's time for the part of the podcast where we share something we like, something our kids like, or something someone we know likes. Yes, it's time for recommendations. Tom, do you have something to recommend for us this week? This week, I guess I would recommend um, for bedtime reading, I have uh, gone back to the to John Christopher's uh, trilogy the about the tripods, which I read when I was young and had not read or even really much thought of uh, in the intervening years. And it's um it's just like a you know post-apocalyptic uh, science fiction thing uh, where it's a future society that where human beings are subjugated to these like giant walking tripod machines. Um, and at the age of fourteen, everyone gets, taken up into one of the, the tripods and given a metal cap, after which they're docile and well-behaved, except unless a few of them it doesn't take two and they go crazy instead. Um, mm. You know, so it's about how uh, a band of these boys who are just, uh, you know, on the verge of going through this learn that there's an alternative and there's a resistance and there's a movement uh, to escape the, the rule of the tripods and, um, you know, fight back on behalf of the human race uh you know and it's a, it's a good um it's a good science fiction adventure yarn uh that goes well for kids it, it does not uh come within a uh, hundred miles of passing the bechdel test uh, uh the resistance is <laughs> <laughs> extremely male i think that actually um, <laughs> after i'd read the books when i was young i think that they were serialized as a cartoon uh in boys life magazine you know the official boy mm-hmm. scout magazine so you know it's not it doesn't really work great on gender, but the you know um, the overall story arc is really accessible for kids, and they they um, respond well to it. And the protagonist uh, is imperfect, which is something that that is really good. In fact, my kids are sort of a little bit um, suspicious of him, or they, it, it kind of troubles them that he's mm. you know he's like bad tempered, he makes bad decisions, like his his friends are like do smarter things and get in less trouble mm-hmm. and are less likely to undermine the resistance with their bad choices um you know and we have to remind them that he's telling this himself so he's not you know as the narrator he's allowed to criticize himself mm-hmm. and it's not you know but that's a nice you know antidote to a lot of stuff where the the heroes are really great like i i might have been i I definitely was, in fact, a little bit too negative about Harry Potter. Like, I started mm-hmm. reading Harry Potter, and I got, like, to the part where they're telling him very early on, where they're telling him that he's, like, the most special kid in the world, and he's awesome, and, like, everybody's been waiting for him, and, like, his com- he comes from the very best lineage of magicians, and he has a special destiny, and he's got all this money, and I'm just like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I don't want to read, like, <laughs> however many thousand pages about this guy, like, He's he's boring, you know, which I shouldn't have said out loud because then, you know, because then it made the older kid who was really into the Harry Potter books feel like I was, you know, telling him not to like something that he loved. So that was that <laughs> I, you can chalk that down in the in the fail column. Um, but, you know, we worked through that. But anyway, it's good to have, you know, it's just it's a, it's a good um, it's a good adventure. And um, it's good to have a hero who's, you know, complicated, complicated and, and 
less less than five. I wouldn't say he's like super complicated because it's like you know it's it's, it's more human, pitched human. It, but it's but he's, yeah exactly he's like recognizably human he's like got some personality defects and you know nevertheless spoiler alert um, you know after three three books of it they have managed to liberate the earth so that's great. <laughs> this is light bad time reading. <laughs> yeah, you know it was there. There I it sometimes it's not the it ends on a cliffhanger or a death in a way that's not ideal for bedtime. Mm. But you know, what can you do? It sounds very foundational for like a lot of the current post-apocalyptic teen oriented sci-fi mm-hmm. stuff, you know, like society wants to keep everybody down and the scrappy teens save the day. Like really everything, yeah. like Hunger Games. Uh, what's the other one with Shaleen Woodley in the movies where like they want to divide everybody into groups and like the scrappy band of outsiders. It's like it's foundational. Divergent? That, it Is that Divergent, the one? yes. Or I've insurgent, whatever. seen a trailer. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, no. Also, the um, you know the 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 way that the tripods conquered the earth was um, not through direct military force, but um, through sort of hypnotizing and mind controlling people through the TVs first to soften mm-hmm. them up before they yep. then entered their their active like installing the, the metal caps on them and, and controlling them more directly. You know, so as I stare at my phone. All day. It folds a little it, bit of they live it, in there and let too it, then, right? Yeah. And I, let, <laughs> I let my phone sort of reprogram my, my brain and my whole cycle is worth thinking about. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to recommend a subreddit, which I sometimes do and then sometimes regret it later. But this is one that I find fascinating. Um, it's the subreddit R Teenagers. Uh, it is a place where ostensibly teenagers are posting stuff on Reddit. <laughs> it's not always perfect, and there's some stuff on there that's weird, but I love it. It's a really insightful look at how teenagers see adults, how they see each other, how they process their online lives. It's sometimes hilarious, sometimes super touching to see teenagers supporting each other, Um a teen will come on and like sort of post about a problem and like all these other teens, of course, ostensibly teens will like be like, you know, buck up. Here's how I solve that problem. Today, there was a really funny uh, post on there uh, and basically how to speak to boomers, like understanding boomer language. And like um, instead of that really sucks, say maybe if you didn't play all those video games uh, instead of saying, <laughs> wow, that's shitty, say it's from you using that iPhone so much. Instead of I can relate to that, say I'm going to cut the Wi-Fi. Like it's just really uh, <laughs> a fun place to just sort of see like the infographics teens make the sort of just way that they view where they are in the world right now. I'm really enjoying reading it. It's on my subscribe subreddits. Like I said, it's not perfect, but I will say there has been a surprisingly and wonderful amount of teenagers knocking down other teenagers who th- say things that are sexist or misogynist or discriminatory. Like they definitely like are policing themselves pretty well and it's kind of uplifting in that regard. All right, what have you got for us, Jamila, as far as recommendations I, go? I just want to say, I just wrote an entire movie in my head in which nobody on that subreddit is actually a teenager and all of them <laughs> yes. are Yes. Probably. I've decided it's happening. <laughs> You're probably right. I mean, uh, I'm on it after all. <laughs> <laughs> what would teenagers call their cool space? Teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> just kids in here. <laughs> no one in here but us kids. <laughs> just talking about kid stuff. You yeah. know, side hops being and teens, right. being teens. Just hey kids, where where are the house parties this weekend? <laughs> right. <laughs> where, where do you guys know where you can buy some of that stuff? You know that stuff. Uh, Where can I get those jazz cigarettes? <laughs> I now know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm reading the teenager uh, subreddit. Okay, so uh, I have two recommendations, and I will connect them to each other and, and be as brief as possible. So one um, is to, if you have not already discovered and fell in love with the writing of Toni Morrison, uh, please let her passing be an invitation to do so. You know, I, I saw a tweet from somebody. I'm sorry, I'm quoting it. I don't remember who said it, but he said, you know, don't let anyone make you feel bad if you haven't read or engaged with her work uh, seriously before. You know, you have the opportunity to discover her for the first time. And that is truly a gift. And it really is. Um, And so 
An important thing to think about when you look at Morrison's work is that she took a job at a publishing company at 36 and and was, I want to say, 38 or 40 when her first novel was published, you know. And so often we believe that after, you know, 30 or or whatever, our life is what it's going to be and and it's too late to make any profound changes. Certainly not a, a change so drastic that you would become one of the most celebrated writers of all time and a Pulitzer Prize winner, you know. Um, so to one, take the, um, take the time to engage with her work, take the lesson uh, from her life and and her discovering her passion and her path a little bit later. And then the second thing I would add is to get a tattoo. So I got a full sleeve. Um, I had to get it finished up tonight in the past two weeks. I've had tattoos for a long time, but I didn't have many visible ones. Um, And I have uh, some flowers that are going up my, up and down my arm. And a friend of mine commented on it he's a guy who's always thought of him as being a little bit older but he's i'm 35 i guess he's 38 so he just kind of presents a little older and he was saying oh you know it looks really cool i want to finish up you know this piece i'm getting before i turn 40 and i'm like well what happens at 40 you know like and, and he didn't have an answer to that it was just that it seemed that at 40 you'd be too old to get tattoos and i'm just like but who said You know, like I so I am just asking you. So my part, too, is I'm asking you, you don't have to get a tattoo. I'm just asking you to push the boundaries of what we are expected to do because of our age, um, particularly because of, you know, the advancing in our age. And most of us who are listening to or engaging with this podcast are parents. So, um, you know, now that we're because we're parents, we should not do or wear or say certain things or. You know, and I think that's ridiculous. I don't think there's any need for us to push ourselves any closer to the grave or to contort into something that we don't believe in because we are mature, responsible adults now. So go out and do some stuff that, you know, you enjoy doing that makes you feel appropriate. It's not about feeling young or feeling cool, but something that makes you feel good. And I would hope that it's not found within the pages of the subreddit about teenagers <laughs> that is a place that you, you are know. too old to be engaging <laughs> you can look but do not touch you can read exactly. but please don't uh post to that but um but yes be be yourself you know tony uh i was applying for an internship at the place i currently work and i'm now a senior director of all of our digital news and content uh i applied for an internship at 36 and wow. when the person i applied to asked why do you want to be a public radio intern at 36 i told her the story about tony morrison getting oh, that wow. publishing wow. job at 36 and i've never forgotten that and looked at everything that i've done between 36 and 40 six which i will be this year and this has been the most productive and exciting 10 years of my life so i love the message there and that was a really great recommendation thank you all right that does it for our show if you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at mom and dad at slate.com and join us on facebook just search for slate parenting mom and dad are fighting is produced by jess jupiter i'm rebecca lavoie And Jamila and Tom, thanks so much for being on the show this week. It was really fun. Thank you. Thanks. 